Chapter Four of Miss Marchbanks. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Michelle Crandall. Miss Marchbanks by Mrs. Oliphant. Chapter Four. My daughter is coming home, Nancy," said Doctor Marchbanks. "You will have to make preparations for her immediately." So far as I can make out from this letter, she will arrive to-morrow by the half-past five train. Well, sir, said Nancy, with the tone of a woman who makes the best of a misfortune, it ain't every young lady as would have the sense to fix an hour like that. Ladies is terrible tiresome in that way. They'll come in the middle of the day, when a body don't know in the world what to have for them, or they'll come at night, when a body's tired, and ain't got the heart to go into a supper. There was always a deal of sense in Miss Lucilla when she hadn't got nothin' in her head. Just so, said Dr. Marchbanks, who was rather relieved to have got through the announcement so easily. You will see that her room is ready, and everything comfortable. And, of course, to-morrow she and I will dine alone. Yes, sir, said Nancy, but this assent was not given in the decisive tone of a woman whose audience was over and then she was seized with a desire to arrange in a more satisfactory manner the cold beef on the sideboard. When she had secured this little interval for thought, she returned again to the table where her master ate his breakfast, with a presentiment. "'If you please, sir,' said Nancy, "'not to give you no vexation or trouble, which every one knows, as it has been the aim of my life to spare you, as has so much on your mind, but it's best to settle afore commencing, and then we needn't have no heart-burning.' "'If you please, am I to take my orders of Miss Lucilla, or of you, as I've always been used to?' "'In the missus' time,' said Nancy, with modest confidence, "'as was a good missus, and never gave no trouble as long as she had her soup and her jelly comfortable. "'It was always you as said what there was to be for dinner. "'I don't make no objection to doing up a nice little luncheon for Miss Lucilla, "'and giving a little more thought now and again to the sweets. "'But it ain't my part to tell you, sir, as a lady's taste,' and, more special, a young lady's, ain't to be expected to be the same as yours and mine, as has been cultivated like. I'm not one as likes contention, continued the domestic oracle, but I couldn't abear to see a good master put upon, and if it should be, as Miss Lucilla sets her mind upon messes as ain't got no taste in them, and milk puddings and stuff, like the most of the young ladies, I'd just like to know out of your own mouth, afore the commencement, what I'm to do." Dr. Marchbanks was so moved by this appeal that he laid down his knife and contemplated the alarming future with some dismay. "'It is to be hoped Miss Lucilla will know better,' he said. "'She has a great deal of good sense, and it is to be hoped that she will be wise enough to consult the tastes of the house.' But the doctor was not to be let off so easily. "'As you say, sir, everything's to be hoped,' said Nancy steadily. "'But there's a many ladies as don't seem to me to have got no taste to their mouths, "'and it ain't as if it was a thing that could be left to hopes. "'Supposin' as it comes to that, sir, what am I to do?' "'Well,' said the doctor, who was himself a little puzzled, "'you know Miss Lucilla is nineteen, Nancy, and my only child, "'and the natural mistress of the house.' "'Sir,' said Nancy austerely, "'them is things as ain't needful to name.' "'That ain't the question, as I was asking. "'Supposin' as things come to such a point, what am I to do?' 
"'Bless me, it's half-past nine, said the doctor, "'and I have an appointment. "'You can come just as usual when we are at breakfast. "'That will be the best way,' he said as he went out at the door, "'and chuckled a little to himself when he felt he had escaped. "'Lucilla is her mother's daughter, it is true,' he said to himself, "'when he had got into the safe seclusion of his brougham, "'with a degree of doubt in his tone which was startling, "'to say the least of it, from the lips of a medical man.' "'But she is my child all the same,' he added briskly, with returning confidence. And in this conviction there was something which reassured the doctor. He rubbed his hands as he bowled along to his appointment, and thought within himself that if she turned out to be a girl of spirit, as he expected, it would be good fun to see Lucilla's struggle with Nancy for the veritable reins of government. If Dr. Marchbanks had entertained any positive apprehensions that his dinners would be spoiled in consequence— his amusement would have come to an abrupt conclusion. But he trusted entirely in Nancy, and a little in Lucilla, and suffered his long upper lip to relax at the thought without much fear. Her father had not returned from the labours of his long day when Lucilla arrived, but he made his last visits on foot, in order to be able to send the brougham for her, which was a great thing for the doctor to do. There was, indeed, a mutual respect between the two, who were not necessary to each other's comfort, it is true, as such near relations sometimes are, but who, at the same time, except on the sole occasion of Mrs. Marchbanks's death, had never misunderstood each other, as sometimes happens. This time Miss Marchbanks was rather pleased, on the whole, that the doctor did not come to meet her. At other times she had been a visitor. Now she had come into her kingdom, and had no desire to be received like a guest." A sense of coming home, warmer than she remembered to have felt before, came into Lucilla's active mind as she stepped into the brougham. Not that the words bore any special tender meaning, notwithstanding that it was the desire of her heart, well known to all her friends, to live henceforward as a comfort to dear papa, but that now at last she was coming into her kingdom, and entering the domain in which she intended her will to be law after living for a year with friends whose arrangements, much inferior to those which she could have made had she had the power, she had to acquiesce in, and whose domestic economy could only be criticised up to a certain point, it was naturally a pleasure to Miss Marchbanks to feel that now at length she was emancipated, and at liberty to exercise her faculty. There were times during the past year when Lucilla had with difficulty restrained herself from snatching the reins out of the hands of her hosts, and showing them how to manage, but impatient as she was, she had to restrain herself, and make the best of it. Now all that bondage was over. She felt like a young king entering in secret a capital which awaits him with acclamations. Before she presented herself to the rejoicing public, there were arrangements to be made and things to be done, and Miss Marchbanks gave a rapid glance at the shops in George Street as she drove past and decided which of them she meant to honour with her patronage. When she entered the garden, it was with the same rapid glance of reorganising genius that she cast her eyes around it, and still more decided was the look with which she regarded her own room, where she was guided by the new housemaid who did not know Miss Lucilla. Nancy, who knew no better, being like most gifted persons a woman of one idea, had established her young mistress in the little chamber which had been Lucilla's when she was a child, but Miss Marchbanks, who had no sentimental notions about white dimity, 
shook her head at the frigid little apartment where however she was not at all sorry to be placed at present for if dr marchbanks had been a man of prevenant class disposed to make all the preparations possible for his daughter and arrange elegant surprises for her he would have thoroughly disgusted lucilla who was bent on making all the necessary improvements in her own person when she went down to the drawing-room to await her father miss marchbanks's look of disapprobation was mingled with so much satisfaction and content in herself that it was pleasant to behold she shook her head and shrugged her shoulders as she paused in the centre of the large faded room where there was no light but that of the fire which burned brightly and kept up a lively play of glimmer and shadow in the tall glass over the fireplace and even twinkled dimly in the three long windows where the curtains hung stiff and solemn in their daylight form it was not an uncomfortable sort of big dull faded respectable drawing-room and if there had been a family in it with recollections attached to every old ottoman and easy-chair no doubt it would have been charming but it was only a waste and howling wilderness to lucilla when she had walked from one end to the other and verified all the plans she had already long ago conceived for the embellishment of this inner court and centre of her kingdom lucilla walked with her unhesitating step to the fire and took a match and lighted all the candles in the large old-fashioned candlesticks which had been flickering in grotesque shadows all over the roof this proceeding threw a flood of light on the subject of her considerations and gave miss marchbanks an idea in passing about the best mode of lighting which she afterwards acted upon with great success she was standing in this flood of light regarding everything around her with the eye of an enlightened critic and reformer when dr marchbanks came in perhaps there arose in the soul of the doctor a momentary thought that the startling amount of éclairage which he witnessed was scarcely necessary for it is certain that he gave a momentary glance at the candles as he went up to greet his daughter but he was far too well-bred a man to suggest such an idea at the moment on the contrary he kissed her with a sentiment of real pleasure and owned to himself that if she was not a fool and could keep it her own department it might be rather agreeable on the whole to have a woman in the house the sentiment was not enthusiastic and neither were the words of his salutation well lucilla so this is you said the moderate and unexcited father yes papa it is me said miss marchbanks and very glad to get home and so the two sat down and discussed the journey whether she had been cold and what state the railway was in till the doctor bethought himself that he had to prepare for dinner nancy is always very punctual and i am sure you are hungry he said so i'll go upstairs with your permission lucilla and change my coat and with this the actual arrival terminated and the new reign began but it was only next morning that the young sovereign gave any intimation of her future policy she had naturally a great deal to tell that first night and though it was exclusively herself and her own adventures and achievements which miss marchbanks related the occasion of her return made that sufficiently natural and the doctor was not altogether superior to the natural prejudice which makes a man interested even when they are not in themselves particularly interesting in the doings of his children she succeeded in doing what is certainly one of the first duties of a woman she amused her father he followed her to the drawing-room for a marvel and took a cup of tea though it was against his principles and on the whole lucilla had the satisfaction of feeling that she had made a conquest of the doctor which of course 
was the grand and most essential preliminary. In the little interval which he spent over his claret, Miss Marchbanks had succeeded in effecting another fundamental duty of woman. She had, as she herself expressed it, harmonized the rooms by the simple method of rearranging half the chairs and covering the tables with trifles of her own, a proceeding which converted the apartment from an abstract English drawing-room of the old school into Miss Marchbanks's drawing-room, an individual spot of ground revealing something of the character of its mistress. The doctor himself was so moved by this that he looked vaguely round when he came in, as if a little doubtful where he was, but that might only be the effect of the sparkling mass of candles on the mantelpiece, which he was too well-bred to remark upon the first night. But it was only in the morning that Lucilla unfolded her standard. She was down to breakfast, ready to pour out the coffee, before the doctor had left his room. He found her, to his intense amazement, seated at the foot of the table, in the place which he usually occupied himself before the urn and the coffee-pot. Dr. Marchbanks hesitated for one momentous instant, stricken dumb by this unparalleled audacity. But so great was the effect of his daughter's courage and steadiness, that after that moment of fate he accepted the seat by the side where everything was arranged for him, and to which Lucilla invited him sweetly, though not without a touch of mental perturbation. The moment he had seated himself, the doctor's eyes were opened to the importance of the step he had taken. "'I am afraid I have taken your seat, papa,' said Miss Marchbanks, with ingenuous sweetness. "'But then I should have had to move the urn, and all the things, and I thought you would not mind.' The doctor said nothing but, "'Pump!' and even that in an undertone. But he became aware all the same that he had abdicated without knowing it, and that the reins of state had been smilingly withdrawn from his unconscious hands. When Nancy made her appearance, the fact became still more apparent, though still in the sweetest way. "'It is so dreadful to think papa should have been bothered with all these things so long,' said Miss Marchbanks. "'After this, I am sure you and I, Nancy, can arrange it all without giving him the trouble.' "'Perhaps this morning, papa, as I am a stranger, you will say if there is anything you would like, and then I shall have time to talk it all over with Nancy, and find out what is best.' And Lucilla smiled so sweetly upon her two amazed subjects, that the humour of the situation caught the fancy of the doctor, who had a keen perception of the ridiculous. He laughed out, much to Nancy's consternation, who was standing by in open-eyed dismay. "'Very well, Lucilla,' he said, you shall try what you can do. I dare say Nancy will be glad to have me back again before long, but in the meantime I am quite content that you should try. And he went off laughing to his brougham, but came back again before Lucilla could take Nancy in hand, who was an antagonist more formidable. I forgot to tell you, said the doctor, that Tom Marchbanks is coming on circuit, and that I have asked him to stay here as a matter of course. I suppose he'll arrive to-morrow. Good-bye till the evening.' This, though Dr. Marchbanks did not in the least intend it, struck Lucilla like a Parthian arrow, and brought her down for the moment. "'Tom Marchbanks!' she ejaculated in a kind of horror. "'Of all people in the world, and at this moment!' But when she saw the open eyes and rising colour of Nancy, the young dictator recovered herself, for a conqueror in the first moment of his victory has need to be wary." She called Nancy to her, in her most affectionate tones, as she finished her breakfast. "'I sent papa away,' said Miss Marchbanks, "'because I wanted to have a good talk with you, Nancy. I want to tell you my object in life. 
it is to be a comfort to papa ever since poor mamma died that is what i have been thinking of and now i have come home and i have made up my mind that he is not to be troubled about anything i know what a good faithful valuable woman you are i assure you you need not think me a foolish girl who is not able to appreciate you the dinner was charming last night nancy said lucilla with much feeling and i never saw anything more beautifully cooked than papa's cutlets to-day miss lucilla i may say as i am very glad i have pleased you said nancy who was not quite conquered as yet she stood very stiffly upright by the table and maintained her integrity master is particular i don't deny continued the prime minister who felt herself dethroned i've always done my best to go in with his little fancies and i don't mean to say as it isn't right and natural as you should be the missus but i ain't used to havin' a do with ladies and that's the truth ladies is stingy in a many things as is the soul of a good dinner to them as knows i may be valuable or not it ain't for me to say but i'm not one as can always be kept to set figure in my gravy beef and my bacon and them sorts of things as for the butter i don't know as i could give nobody an idea i ain't one as likes changes but i can't abide to be kept to a set figure and that's the chief thing miss lucilla as i've got to say and quite reasonable too said miss marchbanks you and i will work perfectly well together nancy i am sure we have both the same meaning and i hope you don't think i am less concerned about dear papa than about the gravy beef he must have been very desolate with no one to talk to though he has been so good and kind and self-sacrificing in leaving me to get every advantage but i mean to make it up to him now i've come home yes miss said nancy somewhat mystified not but what master has had his little parties now and again to cheer him up a bit and i make bold to say miss as i have heard compliments which it was thomas that brought him downstairs as might go nigh to turn a body's head if it was vanity as i was thinking of but i ain't one as thinks of anything but the comfort of the family said nancy yielding in spite of herself to follow the leadings of the higher will in presence of which she found herself and i'm always one as does my best miss lucilla if i ain't worried nor kept to a set figure with my gravy beef i have heard of papa's dinners said lucilla graciously and i don't mean to let down your reputation nancy now we are two women to manage everything we ought to do still better i have two or three things in my head that i will tell you after but in the meantime i want you to know that the object of my life is to be a comfort to poor papa and now let us think what we had better have for dinner said the new sovereign nancy was so totally unprepared for this manner of dethronement that she gave in like her master she followed miss marchbanks humbly into those details in which lucilla speedily proved herself a woman of original mind and powers quite equal to her undertaking the doctor's formidable housekeeper conducted her young mistress downstairs afterwards and showed her everything with the meekness of a saint lucilla had won a second victory still more exhilarating and satisfactory than the first for to be sure it is no great credit to a woman of nineteen to make a man of any age throw down his arms but to conquer a woman is a different matter and lucilla was thoroughly sensible of the difference now indeed she could feel with a sense of reality that her foundations were laid miss marchbanks had enough of occupation for that day and for many days but her mind was a little distracted by her father's parting intelligence and she had besides a natural desire to view the country she had come to conquer when she had made a careful supervision of the house 
and shifted her own quarters into the pleasantest of the two best bedrooms, and concluded that the little bare dimity chamber she had occupied the previous night was quite good enough for Tom Marchbanks. Lucilla put on her hat and went out to make a little reconnaissance. She walked down to the spot where St. Roque's now stands, on her own side of Grange Lane, and up on the other side into George Street, surveying all the capabilities of the place with a rapid but penetrating glance. Dr. Marchbanks's house could not have been better placed as a strategic position, commanding as it did all Grange Lane, of which it was, so to speak, the key, and yet affording a base of communication with the profaner public which Miss Marchbanks was wise enough to know a leader of society should never ignore completely. For, indeed, one of the great advantages of that brilliant position is that it gives a woman a right to be arbitrary, and to select her materials according to her judgment. It was more from a disinclination to repeat herself than any other motive that Lucilla, when she had concluded this preliminary survey, went up into Grove Street, meaning to return home that way. At that hour, in the morning the sun was shining on the little gardens on the north side of the street, which was the plebeian side, and, as it was the end of October, and by no means warm, Lucilla was glad to cross over and continue her walk by the side of those little enclosures where the straggling chrysanthemums propped each other up, and the cheerful Michaelmas daisies made the best of it in the sunshine that remained to them. Miss Marchbanks had nearly reached Salem Chapel, which pushed itself forward amid the cosy little line of houses, pondering in her mind the unexpected hindrance which was about to be placed in her triumphant path in the shape of Tom Marchbanks, when that singular piece of good fortune occurred to her which had so much effect upon her career in Carlingford. Such happy accidents rarely happen, except to great generals or heroes of romance, and it would have been perhaps a presumption on the part of Lucilla to place herself conspicuously in either of these categories. The fact is, however, that at this eventful moment she was walking along under the shade of her pretty parasol, not expecting anything, but absorbed in many thoughts, and a little cast down in her expectations of success, by a consciousness that this unlucky cousin would insist upon making love to her, and perhaps, even as she herself expressed it, saying the words which it had taken all her skill to prevent him from saying before. Not that we would have any one believe that love-making in the abstract was disagreeable to Miss Marchbanks, but she was only nineteen, well-off and good-looking, and with plenty of time for all that, and, at the present moment, she had other matters of more importance in hand. It was while occupied with these reflections, and within three doors of Salem Chapel, in front of a little garden where a great deal of mignonette had run to seed, and where the Michaelmas daisies had taken full possession, that Lucilla was roused suddenly out of her musings. The surprise was so great that she stopped short, and stood still before the house in the extremity of her astonishment and delight. Who could it be that possessed that voice which Miss Marchbanks felt by instinct was the very one thing wanting, a round, full, delicious contralto, precisely adapted to supplement without supplanting her own high-pitched and much-cultivated organ? She stopped short before the door, and made a rapid observation, even in the first moment of her surprise, the house was not exactly like the other humble houses in Grove Street. Two little blank squares hung in the centre of each of the lower windows, revealing to Lucilla's educated eye the existence of so much feeling for art 
as can be satisfied with a transparent porcelain version of a famous Madonna, and she could even catch a glimpse, through the curtains of the best room, which, contrary to the want of humble gentility in Carlingford, were well drawn back, and allowed the light to enter fully, of the glimmer of gilt picture-frames, and, in the little garden in front, half buried among the mignonette, were some remains of plaster-casts, originally placed there for ornament, but long since cast down by rain and neglect. Lucilla made her observations with the promptitude of an accomplished warrior, and, before the second bar of the melody indoors was finished, had knocked very energetically. "'Is Miss Lake at home?' she asked with confidence of the little maid-servant who opened the door to her. And it was thus that Lucilla made her first bold step out of the limits of Grange Lane for the good of society, and secured at once several important personal advantages, and the great charm of those Thursday evenings, which made so entire a revolution in the taste and ideas of Carlingford. End of chapter 4, read by Michelle Crandall, Fremont, California, October 2008